This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I am your host, PWI Senior Rider Al Castle, uh, back once again with my co-host, Brian Solomon. How are you, Brian? I'm okay here in week 80,007 of self-quarantine. Yeah, it's starting to just get boring. That's the thing. I mean, I'm still, I'm not freaking out. I'm not like, you know, panicked. Uh, but, uh, but it's like you, you organize every last drawer, every last closet, yes. you check off everything on to-do list and you're like, oh, I'm just starting to get bored. Yeah. I'm also at the point now where like uh, our friends and us were, you know, constantly trying to touch base on, on Skype or zoom or Google chat. And I think now we're sort of at the point where we're just like, just sick of the whole damn thing. And like, no, yeah. no one's even talking to each other anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's just starting to be about like eating and watching tv and getting fat <laughs> oh god yes i know we bought a scale which i probably shouldn't have done because i'm I'm trying to make sure that doesn't happen i'm so paranoid because i was actually getting in some pretty decent shape before the world ended and i don't want all of that hard work to be for nothing so and it's it's kind of counterintuitive because of in in some respects you you know you'd, you'd think people have all the time in the world now to to work out or or what have you go for a run um but there is something about a just state of affairs that um i don't know it just has has me feeling kind of lethargic and yeah. and lazy uh I, I don't know so yeah i know i have uh, a but, piece in my head that keeps pushing me I, I i'm hoping that it doesn't die but it keeps it keeps pushing me <laughs> Uh, anyhow, plenty to, to talk about in the, the pro wrestling uh, world. Uh, we're we're going to be talking some COVID-19 uh, updates uh, here in a bit. Um, some news on money in the bank. Uh, a little, I don't know how newsworthy it is, but a little item that dropped literally uh, minutes before uh, we jumped on the phone here that we'll touch on about. Uh, and again, very much uh, uh you know, caution folks about putting too much into it, but uh, some some rumors have popped up against again about a potential WWE sale. Uh, so we'll touch on that, uh, and then later on, uh, speaking more about um, the impact of the COVID nineteen pandemic on wrestling is um, Ring of Honor CEO. Uh, is that his his title or COO? Ring of Honor boss uh, Joe Koff, who we've had on uh, on the podcast uh, a number of times. Uh, talks all things COVID-19 and uh, Ring of Honor's approach to handling it, which is uh, quite a bit different than I think a lot of the other major promotions, at least in the United States. Ring of Honor, I think right now, is the only major American uh, promotion uh, that is yet to go forth with these empty arena shows. And um, Joe talks a, a bit about why that is, you know, whether that will change and just kind of generally what the plan is uh, going forward. And um, I think his and, and Ring of Honors is uh, very much a, a different outlook than some of the other uh, promoters. And we've talked uh, here uh, a lot, uh, Brian, about how, you know, it, it seems to be that some promoters primary priority, uh, top priority is they say entertaining fans and uh, maybe not necessarily 
uh, protecting their own talent. And uh, it would seem that Joe Coff and the Ring of Honor folks very much feel differently. Uh, you know, the other part of it is they have very different business models. So so um, I guess you got to take that uh, for what it's worth also. Uh, but uh, a fun catch up with uh, Joe, as always. So stay tuned uh, for that. Uh, also want to tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, coming soon. If it hasn't already dropped, uh, actually, uh, this Thursday, April 30, you'll be able to pick up the digital copy. It is the August 2020 issue featuring WrestleMania's real winners and losers on the cover. New WWE champion Drew McIntyre. Uh, Brian, uh, you put this together. This is pretty neat uh, cover story of WrestleMania. This is a, a feature we've been doing for it's got to be close to 30 years now, uh, right? Yeah, well, not you and I, but no. <laughs> but, yeah, but we're, we're both doing lying. something we're not used to since, since Dan Murphy left. Yeah, yeah I'm still working on the PWI poll. Right. I was in high school 30 years ago, so uh, I was <laughs> reading the WrestleMania winners and losers article, which is actually what's so cool about it. It was the same feeling that I had when I started working at WWE Magazine, which was like, you know, I used to read this when I was a kid and look forward to it and grab it at the newsstand and all that. And now I'm writing it. So, you know, that's it's surreal and it's fun. Yeah. And there's uh, a tons, you know, this WrestleMania being so unusual, uh, it, it seems like it was really ripe for this kind of analysis of, of real winners and losers. So I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, to reading uh, that. Uh, also in, in this issue uh, features on Marty Skrull, a hot seat interview that I conducted with AEW women's champion, uh, Nyla Rose, uh, another feature on uh, Jacob Fatu from major league wrestling and another feature I put together um, about NXT's uh, North American champion, Keith Lee. So, uh, loaded with lots of fun content, uh, as always, the August issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. If you want to get it before anyone else, uh, go to Pro Wrestling, I'm sorry, uh, pwi-online.com, Pro Wrestling Illustrated's uh, homepage, webpage, and uh, you can pick up the, the one uh, issue, have it delivered uh, to your home. You can download it uh, right away and be checking it out within minutes. Um, but really, the way to go uh, is to subscribe, and the longer you subscribe for, uh, the deeper the savings, you can save more than half off uh, the cover price. It's absolutely the way to go. And, uh, you know, beyond just PDFs of every page in the magazine, it's customized for your mobile device, your computer, what have you. A lot of fun interactive features that you won't get, obviously, in the print issue. Uh, but if you want the print issue, and we certainly understand uh, that, I mean, not having a whole lot to do in the last couple of weeks, one of the things uh, I've been doing is digging through all my, my old magazines, and uh, there's nothing like, you know, holding one in, in your hand and flipping through it. Uh, so uh, we're all about that as well. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to the print edition at pwi-online.com. And uh, now 41 years and uh, still going strong. We appreciate your support. Uh, and you can continue to support us by uh, following us on social media at official PWI on Twitter and uh, Instagram. We're also on Facebook. We're also on YouTube now. You can find us there now. We've been uploading um, the podcast, which is something I've wanted to do for a long time. So uh, glad we have another outlet now um, to to get people to listen to the the podcast. Um, another fun thing I just found out, uh, you know, I always plug the, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated T-shirts available at uh, Pro Wrestling Tees. Uh, we're, we've got some new shirts. We've got uh, uh, the Wrestler Magazine shirt and Inside Wrestling, uh, two of our other um, titles from, from some years back. Uh, you know, they had iconic logos in their own right. And uh, beyond that, just look really cool on a shirt. So uh, now you've got more options 
for uh, your uh, t-shirt magazine, wrestling magazine t-shirts. Uh, and again, uh, go to prowrestlingtees.com um, for that. Uh, what else do we want to plug? Uh, you could get the magazine, I believe, on Amazon, actually, these days, the digital magazine. So uh, you could do that. The podcast, of course, of course, um, wherever you get your podcast, please subscribe and give us a positive review. And uh, you can do that over at Podbean, which have been hosting us for a number of years. And what else? You could reach us by email at uh, PWI at Kappa Publishing. Dot com, or uh, if it's specifically about the podcast, uh, PWI podcast at outlook.com. Uh, I think it's about it. Anything you wanted to uh, drop in there? You, how, how's the book coming along, there, Brian? Well, I'm in the middle of, of transcribing lots and lots of interviews. It just seems to never end. But uh, I'm actually, it's interesting because sometimes when you're interviewing these, these folks, you 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 try to listen as much as you can, but but you're so worried about recording and getting everything right. And then when you go back into it and you get some real gems of, that you didn't really maybe notice the first time I, I was listening to an interview I did with Flying Fred Curry, who was one of the top wrestlers for The Sheik. Because, as you know, the book I'm working on is the biography of The Sheik, Blood and Fire. And he was giving just this amazing insight on getting to know The Sheik and his wife, Joyce, and what their marriage was like, what their mansion was like, and just what their how their business was run you know, he's a real gem of a guy. He lives here in Connecticut near me and he's God, he's, I think he's got to be close to 90 at this point, but he's a treasure trove of info. So I've been digging through stuff like that right now. I'm honestly dying to start the writing process, but I think I'm still probably about a month away from that. Have you tried these, uh, uh, transcription, uh, programs? You know, they seem to have come a long way. I, I, uh, would almost never use them before. And then somebody turned me on to one that I guess is better than most. And, and actually this Nyla Rose interview and the latest issue, um, I did that way and you've got to go back and, and clean it up some, but it does save you a, a whole lot of work. I think it's called otter otter dot IO. Well, I have one that I've been, that I tried using. I don't want to mention the name because I wasn't, I mean, I had like a love hate relationship yes, with no plugs. it. So I don't want them to come after us. But, um, you know, I, I started out thinking, OK, this is a great time saver. I'd never used it before. But what I discovered was happening was uh, the cleanup process was so involved that it yes. wasn't even worth it. It was taking as much time as it would have taken me because I don't transcribe every word when I do it myself manually. I just look for the most like salient kind of bits and the most quote worthy stuff and information. And this thing was, you know, it's transcribing every single word. There's so much wrestling terminology and names of wrestlers that it's not recognizing. And there's so much cleanup that there were times when I couldn't even make sense of it. And I had to go back into the recording. So, I mean, like it was pretty cool for a while. I, I, I did like four or five of them that way. And now I'm just thinking I'm I'm just going back to doing it manually because it actually saves time, believe it or not. Yeah, the whole wrestling terminology thing is oh, is a yeah. complication. I, I remember it reminds me of uh, uh, years ago. Uh, I interviewed uh, a deaf pro wrestler from the Buffalo area. His name was uh, the Silent Warrior. I'm still uh, Facebook friends uh, with him for a column I did, I think, for uh, the Wrestler Magazine. And interviewing him um, required using this service where um, it's like a relay service where he is communicating with a sign language interpreter and then I'm on the phone speaking to the interpreter, uh, right? So I ask a question to her, she signs it to him, he signs his answer back to her, she reads it to me. 
Um, and I remember him saying, we were just talking about wrestling and I remember her, uh, struggling through the, the, um, the term power bomb. She's like, well, I like to use a power bomb. <laughs> I thought it was amusing. Yeah. yeah so we, we forget that we have our own little language here. Well, like the one I just went through, which was Fred Curry, he's a very elderly man and his voice is kind of frail. And so I couldn't even the software couldn't even pick up what he was saying at all, like at all. I had to just I was forced to do it manually because it was missing every other word that he said. So, you know, I mean, it's it's good in theory, but I just for my own needs, I found like it was actually making more work for me. So I sort of lost patience with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, looking forward to reading that book when, when it uh, comes out for sure. Um, so let's talk some, some current events again, as, as I mentioned, literally just a minute or two before we get on the phone, I get a text from my brother saying, you know, what's this about W being sold to Fox or ESPN? Uh, and, and just did a quick uh, Google search uh, beforehand. So uh, I don't know if this is anything. Uh, I don't know if by the time this, this podcast drops, it's a huge story or it's just um, turned out to be nothing, but it's worth at least touching on. And, and the, you know, this is something that's been out there now for, for a number of months, uh, just in terms of whispers and, and buzzing and that kind of thing. I don't know how serious it is. It was actually Dutch Mantel who I guess tweeted about it, saying that he heard this essentially firsthand from somebody who was in the know of a, a potential uh, sale um, either to Fox or ESPN um, that could be finalized by mid-May. Um, I, I, again, I'm certainly dubious. Could there be something um, to it? Absolutely. Um, I, I can't imagine that it is that far along. Certainly in this climate, that that kind of deal would be made um, imminently. Uh, but but what about Brian? I mean, is is it something that that makes sense to you as a as a real possibility, whether right now or in the next year, or in the next two years? I think it's inevitable. I've been saying this for years, and I said it even when I was working there. And people, most people within the company, were kind of incredulous because they never imagined that the McMahons would ever ever give it up. And I feel, the way I look at it is, I, I think that was true of Vince. I really do. I don't think that's true of Hunter and Stephanie. I think the the feeling I get is they'd be very open at the right price, the right circumstance. They'd still want, obviously, some form of control and running it and that kind of thing. I think they absolutely would be open to it. And in the, the media environment we have today, I mean, this is how it goes. I mean, God, if, if somebody could buy Star Wars, OK, <laughs> somebody could right. buy WWE. It, it's it's what's happening right now, this kind of media consolidation WWE is a pop culture media brand and powerhouse. I just think it's a matter of time. I think Fox is a very likely possibility. Uh, ESPN, which is Disney, I could definitely see Disney kind of stepping in and swooping, uh, you know, snatching them up. I, I don't know if it, I mean these stories pop up every every year or so. So I don't know if it's going to happen right now. It could just be a total rumor blown out of proportion. But I do think it is going to happen within the next few years. I think it's inevitable. Yeah. Uh, and again, not knowing who would be buying it, what the terms would be, but um, is there the the potential when, when you hear about something like that, does it sound like it would be good news for fans, for the industry? Um, and, and it cuts both ways, right? I mean, having being under the umbrella of one of these major corporations where I think there's probably more accountability than WWE is used to uh, right now. And we've certainly seen a lot of that uh, play out 
in in the last couple of months during um, this whole pandemic about and we've talked about it here about them sort of going rogue and, and doing what what they want to do. I don't know if, if that happens, if, if you're under a Fox umbrella or a Disney uh, umbrella. We saw uh, Disney essentially pull the plug on a, a UFC show a couple of weeks back um, because some of the, the PR, some of the the, the headline to the articles got to be too much. Um, that, that's the part that I wonder how willing the McMahons, um, would, would be willing to sort of, uh, uh, to, to cede that, uh, that accountability, that responsibility. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't think, I mean, while I do think it's inevitable, I don't think it's going to be good for the product. Honestly, I think, you know, let me, all you got to do is look at what happened with WCW. I mean, they were owned by a multimedia giant and all we heard were horror stories about, you know, mismanagement and kind of clueless executives, people not really understanding what fans wanted or what was best for the business and all this sort of thing. I just I can't help but think that something very similar would happen. I mean, you know, it's hit and miss when these things happen. Like Marvel is an example. OK, so Disney bought Marvel and they've turned it into a, a, a much more profitable kind of powerhouse than it ever was before. But then you look at kind of what they did with Star Wars, and I'll get Star Wars fans that are going to come at me now. But I mean, I, I think most people would agree that they've kind of bungled Star Wars, and now they're at the point where they're talking about just kind of like putting it into hibernation for a while. So I mean, it's it's hit and miss, and and I think like with WWE, my gut is it would be great for the McMahon family. It would be great in the short term from a business point of view, but I think the product would suffer. I don't think that fans would be happy with whatever changes and things would happen. I just don't think it would be a good thing. I think it would be like early nineties WCW all over again, basically. But they'd have a, a level of reach that they, they don't have right now. I mean, imagine, um, and, and, and I guess it depends who it is. Uh, you know, if, if it was Disney, uh, I, I think it would be stronger than, than Fox. You know, the Fox thing is sort of interesting because, um, It'd be surprising. The 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 feeling I think among uh, a lot of folks who have have been watching is that WWE has been underperforming on Fox, and so there's a thought that Fox would be disappointed in the ratings and the viewership that SmackDown's been doing. And, and granted, everything is so wacky now with uh, the pandemic that I don't know right now is the best time to judge. But even in the months leading up to it, um, they weren't exactly setting the world on fire on Friday nights on Fox. So. You know, what's the interest there? I don't know. Is, is it just more content, uh, original live content? Um, I, yeah, I was just going to say, I think the interest might be preserving or protecting their investment. I mean, it might be a situation. This is pure speculation of just like, OK, look, we put a lot of money into this damn thing. And if you guys don't know how to run it, then we're just going to take it over and, and run it and make sure that we get out of it what we want to get out of it. I mean, it could be that. Right. Right. We'll see. Again, I don't know how much weight to put in it. Uh, certainly something uh, worth watching. Uh, you know, uh, let's see how good uh, Dutch Mantel's Dirty Dutch's sources uh, are. Um, so something I want to talk to you a, a little lighter, a little more fun. Um, neither of us were, were crazy, to say the least, about WWE's 
uh, earliest attempt to think outside the box in this whole pand- pandemic in how they uh, can present matches and, and talking about the Boneyard match and um, the Firefly Funhouse match, neither of which I think uh, either of us was was crazy about. Um, and so it seems like the latest uh, incarnation is going to be their take on the Money in the Bank match uh, this year. And this news, uh, I believe, dropped uh, last week. And uh, basically, I think details are, are still being figured out. But the idea is that the match, uh, the, I don't know if it'll be for, for both the men's and the women's Money in the Bank uh, matches. I imagine it will. Um will take place at Titan Tower in uh, Stamford, Connecticut, your your old uh, workplace, and uh, begins on the ground floor. And the idea is that they will work them. So, uh, they will wrestle all the way up to the roof of the building where um, the the briefcase will be. I don't know if it's on top of a ladder on top of the, the, the building. I guess it would be. Um, so I got to say this, and, and uh, I think folks might be surprised uh, to, to hear me say this, as soon as I heard it, I loved it. I, I, I love this idea. Uh, I think it's a hoot. I think it is, um, creative in, in a, a real good way. And, uh, you know, granted, I haven't seen it play out. I don't know how it'll be shot. Uh, but, but I think it is, uh, the kind of outside of the, the box of thinking, uh, that, that is fun. I, I don't have a huge problem with it. It is a creative use of, of the resources they have not being able to play in arenas. So what do we have? Where can we shoot stuff? Well, we could shoot stuff in our own headquarters. Um, and I'm just, and, and I, I think part of it is the mystique of, of Titan tower, which, um, most fans, you know, haven't seen very much of. Uh, so I, I think it will be kind of fun to have a match, in WWE's uh, corporate headquarters, you, you know, curious on your take, because again, you worked there for a number of years. So, so both the logistics of doing something like this and just generally your, your thoughts on it. Right. So I have a very specific interest in it, like you said, cause you know, I mean, I'm curious to see what it looks like in there now. I mean, I, <laughs> it's, it's been 13 years from what I understand from people I know that are still there. Like it's almost unrecognizable. There's been so much renovation done and everything. I mean, I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. My my one fear is that it turns into like Orton Edge 2, where it's just this mm-hmm. kind of really um, kind of protracted, like very kind of phony looking, like what props can we use kind of a match. I mean, but like I said, I, I'm trying to be hopeful because it's never been done before. So it, it could be really interesting. You know, I mean, it's an interesting idea on paper. I'll just put it that way. I hope that they can kind of pull it off. So, I mean, like most office buildings, I mean, for those that don't know, um, it's a four story office building. So they'd presumably be starting on the ground floor and then making their way up, you know, second, third, fourth floor, which is where all the, you know, Vince's office and everything is. So that could be fun. And then they go up to the roof. Now, there is um, the roof at Titan Tower is like a like a cafeteria or something. Yeah, right? it, it, they call it Titan Terrace. It's almost like a, it's it doesn't have. Yeah, it is. It's used for outdoor dining. Like I used to go up there and have lunch all the time in the nice in nice weather. You know, it's got like little kind of shrubberies and things up there. There's a barbecue. I mean, it's, it's set up for people to eat up there and kind of hang out in good weather. And actually, I think one of the old open openings of raw of monday night raw like back in the 90s i think they shot some stuff up there where they had a ring yeah. set up if, if anybody remembers and there was like a bunch of fans up there and everything that was shot up there there the helicopters uh, i think flying right. over they shot something from a helicopter yeah 
And I think there have been over the years some commercials and things shot inside the building. Like I think I seem to remember the Ultimate Warrior commercial for uh, their their video game commercial or something like that when he was being included was there. Now and then you get a glimpse of it. But like you said, most fans hardly ever have seen it. I'd be curious to see how they do it. I mean, you know, are they going to be like fighting in the elevators? You know, there's two sets of elevators. And then there's stairs that go around both sides of of the building, like a typical kind of office building of that size. I mean, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for crazy stuff, I'm sure. I guarantee you they're going to wind up in Vince's office suite. There is no doubt in my mind (laughs) that they'll definitely do that. They'll probably be in the cafeteria, which is, if memory serves me, I think it's on the second floor. Yeah, it's on the second floor. They'll probably go through there. And things like that. I mean, there's there's giant boardrooms that will be fun for them to fight in and things like that. Like where they, they used to shoot Bite This in a, WWE.com's Bite This in a kind of like a glass enclosure that we used to call the goldfish, uh, the, the goldfish bowl. And so there's a lot of, of spots like that that would make for interesting bits in the match, I'm sure. So, I mean, I, look, I'm going to be watching it. I'm curious as hell to see, like how they're going to do it, how they're going to play it out. Like you said, is the ladder going to be on the roof or is it just going to be a briefcase on the roof? I don't know. Are they going to have to climb the flagpole? I mean, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> I, guess, yeah. I guess we'll see. And and, and the backdrop uh, of this is that I guess they're, they're moving, right? I mean, I know that's been in the works for a while and um, in their uh, – their announcement of all the releases uh, recently related to COVID-19 and their cost cutting. And one of the things they they touched on was, I guess, um, delaying or postponing their move of of the headquarters. Uh, So I I don't know if that affects things at all. Does that mean that they feel, you know, maybe more free to do some damage if they're not sticking around (laughs) Um, or or what have you? Uh, But yeah, I do think that 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 building is is so uh, fascinating because, you know, you have like this corporate monolith, WWE, and uh, it's always been thought of as New York, right? You go to WWE, you're working in New York, but it is so far removed from that. You know, the, this little area in, in Stanford, Connecticut, uh, it, it is this this big, it's touched on a four-story um, um, corporate uh, building, but it really is kind of in the middle of nowhere. I think there was like a beer distributor across the street. It's not yeah. like there's a lot of buildings around there. And literally you, you, you walk around the block and there are kids – um, playing basketball in their driveways. It's just right. this little suburban um, town with this big sky rise with the WWE logo uh, above it. It, it. It's so kind of out of place, you know, and uh, maybe that's why they over the years haven't done that much with it on TV um, because, you know, they, they did do the thing. Um, the Super Bowl. That? Yeah. Well, they just did an angle last year where. Oh, it was uh, when when Drake Maverick um, got married and and they honeymooned, right? And I think that's where they they visited they they visited uh, Titan Tower. But uh, really, it's kind of this mysterious place that, that most fans don't know anything about. Well, there's also the famous uh, thing they did on Raw, where where Austin temporarily took over the company and he went into the tower and he was in the board meetings and he was right. you know running roughshod in the building but yeah you're right it's sort of it's on the outskirts of stanford of downtown stanford so downtown stanford's actually pretty busy it's very urban a lot of sky, you know skyscrapers and things but titan tower is like one highway exit north of that so it's it's pretty residential 
And of course, yes, shout out to the beverage barn across the street from Titan Tower, <laughs> where, where many, many an after work beverage was purchased. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, it is it is a quiet, weird kind of area for a building like that to be. Um, where the first time I went there for my first interview, I almost was kind of thrown off by that. I couldn't get over the fact you're right. Like there is literally like a residential house that is directly adjacent to Titan Tower on either side. Um, it's completely on on a residential on a residential block. Yeah, yeah, really, really strange. And we have seen more of it on WWE Network. A lot of documentaries. You know, basically anytime there's some kind of documentary where a wrestler is visiting um, WWE uh, a corporate headquarters, we get to see some of it from the inside, and it looks fantastic. I mean, the first time. Uh, gosh, it would have been like the early 90s. I guess the building was relatively new at the time. And I remember driving by it. Uh, and I was a huge fan back then. and just happened to be, uh, I guess, on the 95. And like, oh, my God, we have to pull over. And I remember going in there and just sort of being, you know, wide eyed. And the receptionist um, just giving me some some eight by tens, which was really neat. And I think they have like action figures at the reception desk. So that was really neat. But um, over the years, I mean, clearly they pumped a lot of money into the place. So and, and any any sadness on your part of, of talk of, uh, of moving out of there? Yeah, I mean, they've been there such a long time. I think 91, if memory serves, is when they bought that building and took that over. They were in downtown Stanford before that, but it was in a much smaller space. So, I mean, they've been there a really long time. I mean, you mentioned the whole New York thing. And I mean, there was a time in the Vince senior days when their corporate headquarters were in Manhattan. I forget the name of the hotel might've been the Roosevelt hotel, but they actually had corporate offices in a, in a luxury hotel in, in midtown Manhattan, like in the seventies and early eighties. But ever since the eighties, they've been in Connecticut since Vince senior, uh, since Vince junior has been in charge of it. I mean, they've been bursting at the steam at the seams at that building for a while now. I know they've been using facilities at their TV studio, which is kind of a few blocks away. They use some corporate space there. They've rented out corporate space across the street from Titan Tower, which they've been using for years. So there's been a lot of spillover. I can totally understand that they're, they're obviously running out of space. So, I mean, yeah, it's kind of the end of an era. They've been in that building for almost 30 years now if they really are going to move. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an iconic place for wrestling fans. It's sort of like this weird, it's like Mecca. It's like Disney world, except you can't actually go inside, you know? <laughs> and and then I, I do think one thing that that's coming out of this whole pandemic that's, that's sort of interesting and, and fun to watch is this creativity about how we could use spaces that we have access to. And, um, you know, we've you saw what they did with WrestleMania at the performance center and, under the circumstances, how they were able to transform that place into something that looked okay on TV. Uh, this seems to be the evolution of that actually going into the corporate headquarters. Is there any, anywhere else? I mean, I, um, I, I, I don't know. Maybe you know this better than, than I would, uh, but some people seem to think that the uh, Firefly Funhouse match might have been shot at least in part in um, the, the, the warehouse where they have all the old props and equipment. Like it's, do you know what this place is and, and you know, where it is and what it's like? And could you that be? Want, you don't want to get me started on that because that was <laughs> that project. I can tell you, uh, when I worked there, we heard buzz about this place, this mysterious warehouse in Connecticut. And I made it my mission to figure out where it was and to do so like. So it was a secret? 
to get permission to do. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't common knowledge even among employees and, and not many people knew where it was, but we knew about it. And um, it's 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 north of, of Fairfield County. For those that know Connecticut, I, I, I think it's somewhere and I'm not going to totally blow up the spot here, but I think it's somewhere in the Newtown area, if memory serves me correctly, which is which is close further north and kind of closer to the New York state border. And once we found out, we actually got permission. I, I wound up kind of bugging enough people over the years that after a few years of working there, they finally gave me permission to do a magazine story on it. And I did. And it's it's in WWE magazine. I want to say somewhere in 2006, we finally went, me and another writer, Matt Christian. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, we OK, we went there and we had the time of our lives in there. I strapped myself to the Undertaker cross that Steve Austin was strapped to uh, and <laughs> took pictures of myself. I sat in Triple H's throne and his WrestleMania throne. I have pictures in that. We found like banners and, you know, things from like every WrestleMania just randomly hanging around everywhere. Just incredible stuff. Like the old blue cage uh, is in there and just all kinds of random props. Anything you could think of, it's there. And uh, it's this completely nondescript warehouse. There's no markings. There's no sign. You wouldn't even know it if you drove by. You'd have no idea that there was anything there. But it's there. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if they shot some of that there. You're right. Because there's so much old props there that they would have just been able to draw from and use, you know, at at, at their fingertips. And I thought some of that right now could could come in handy. I mean, something that I've I've always I don't know if they they have this stuff or not, but do they have like the old nitro set or something? I mean, can you um, can you do that? Can can just fun ways of of just kind of changing things up? Something they did for years that um, was was uh, a lot of fun was the old school raw where they would. Um, put up the old ring with the red, white, and blue ropes and the, the blue apron and the, the big raw letters. Uh, I imagine that stuff's all in that warehouse it and is. maybe it's a good time to do something like that because it wouldn't look all that different than it did uh, back then. Kind of the, the small dimly lit, uh, uh arenas. Uh, so I don't know, maybe there's an opportunity there to kind of, uh, have some, some fun, uh, with the circumstances that they've been dealt. And I, is is there much space inside that warehouse to do much, or is it? You know where I think they um, they put out a, a DVD some years back. Um, I think Sean Mooney hosted it, where it was uh, these never before seen matches. A really fun DVD, and it was Sean Mooney and what's her name Charlie walking through that warehouse. That's the one place I think I remember seeing it. Uh, it looks pretty cluttered, so I don't know how much you could do in there. Yeah, I don't want to take credit, but I will say that after we did that story in 2006, they started kind of opening it up more and it became more of this regular feature in the magazine and they started sharing glimpses of it and things like that. But I, I was there, like I said, I mean, it's been 14 years since I was there and I'm sure they've been filling it with more stuff. But when I was there, it was pretty cavernous, like there was a lot of room to walk around and move. All the main stuff was kind of like up against the walls and things like that. And there was one corner which was just impenetrable with the most dense kind of stuff collected there, like heavy, hard things. Like that's where we found the, the Undertaker cross and things like that just kind of in there. And like all every, – every, you know, when, when the cell that they would use to like suspend somebody above the ring and all things like that, that was all there. 
Um, I think they probably even have the elimination chamber there and things like that. Um, it might even be bigger than we saw for all I know, but, but there's definitely room at least when I was there. Yeah. 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 We're talking about something that <laughs> hasn't even been done, but why not? Uh, uh, it, it would seem like maybe the, the next, yeah, why not? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's like, you, you got to be creative, I guess, uh, right now. One thing, uh, uh, maybe sort of, um, uh, last thing uh, on this, but Triple H gave an interview, and I and I brought it up in my interview, which you're about to hear with Joe Coff, about uh, some of of the lessons they they're learning from um, this whole thing, maybe sticking around. And one is sort of reexamining whether, um, you know, h- how much of wrestling should be a live event business uh, anyway. Uh, and and I, I guess the the big picture is do house shows stick around. Now it's going to be a long time, I think, before we even have uh, house shows as, as we know them. Certainly not the big 10,000 seat, uh, 15,000 seat shows that we're used to here in the New York area. They just uh, postponed the Madison Square Garden show uh, yet again that had already been uh, pushed back. Um, but, you know, I, I, one of the things I think that they're looking at is that even when they could do house shows, they weren't exactly setting the world on fire with them. Um, and Eric Bischoff talks about this a lot when he took over at WCW, one of the changes he made was, uh, at least for a while there was canceling house shows because they were money losers. So, and he talked about how for so long, the answer at WCW was, uh, well, if, if we're not making a whole lot of money on house shows, um, then let's run more of them. So we make more money, but they're all money losers. So every time they would go out, they would just lose more and more money. And, uh, this started to be an issue in the last year or two for WWE as well. So, uh, any concerns about whether we've maybe seen the, the end of house show business as we know it? I, I for one would mourn that if that happened. And I mean, I'm sure, sure a lot of fans know, a lot of fans may know, especially older fans that, I mean, the house show business is kind of a throwback and it used to be the heart and the soul, the lifeblood of the business. The purpose of television was to drive people to go to the live shows where you would see the best matches, you'd see the title changes, you'd see, you know, all the biggest stars and the TV was just a tease, you know, and and that kind of started changing really it started changing after after obviously WrestleMania, but I mean really in the 90s once you start getting monthly pay-per-view events and things like that, house shows started becoming less and less um, important. It just sort of became like the the old, the old stereotype of, well, we know that no titles are going to change. We know nothing major is going to happen because it's not on television, which was a total flip. And I think that that's what hurt the house shows. I was one of the people that always used to push for you guys should be doing important things on house shows, make people feel like they're missing something, do title changes on there. Even if you have a camera at ringside, just to record it, like shoot major angles like do things that make people want to go because, yeah, I mean, the idea became kind of stale. I think the one benefit or the two major benefits of house shows that would be lost is it gives people in the smaller markets who don't always get TV a chance to see live shows. That's one thing. And it also this is, I think, the most crucial thing is it keeps everybody on their game. It keeps the talent really polished. It keeps them trained. It keeps them really knowing what they're doing, because a lot, you know, a lot of fans may not realize, but the majority of shows are house shows. I mean, these guys on a weekly basis, they're doing like, you know, if you're if you're raw, you're doing I don't I don't I think you're doing like on a non-pay-per-view week, you're doing one TV 
and you're doing like three house shows. So, I mean, most of their work is just for the live audience and, and you'd be losing all that opportunity to kind of stay sharp, try out matches, try new things, try new moves, try whatever, try a gimmick out, you know, without having it be seen by millions of people. Like that's the benefit of house shows that would be lost if, if they were to make that change. So I would definitely, I, I think that would be a, a, a real loss. But it, but it can't be uh, at a financial loss either. I mean, if, right, if every right, time no, you're going out, you're losing money, um, all the, the other benefits that you're talking about become less and less uh, important. And um, right. you're right about about those small markets. But I think those small markets are also sometimes where you get the worst crowds. You know, um, I, I went to uh, I, I'm again, I'm, I'm in the, the metro New York area. So the, the house shows that tend to come around here are usually um, fairly loaded. You're talking either uh, Madison Square Garden or, or Nassau Coliseum or uh, the Prudential Center in, in Newark. Uh, so a big market and, and you'll get the A-listers. Uh, but last summer I went to a house show in um, uh, Wilkesbury, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, over by the, the Poconos. And uh, I was blown away by how small the crowd was. I mean, maybe there was... I don't know, 2000 fans there, you know, for in, in a building that probably sat uh, at least 10,000. And, uh, you know, you're you're flying all these guys out there, the production people, all the talent. Um, I, I got to imagine that they took a loss on that show. And if that is uh, kind of the, the, the norm for them, then I, I get where. But the, the, the flip side of that is that it's not the first time the house show business has been down. Right. And the idea, I guess, is shouldn't be let's just um, cut bait here. It should be let's improve the product so more people come out, you know. But now we have this whole new wrinkle of of um, uh, density and live crowds. And uh, maybe it's it's out of their hands. I think they've done a very poor job of educating yes. fans about house shows. That's the problem. Like you remember, I mean, if you <laughs> we're similar age, the I mean, live event center, right? Yeah. The event center, they'd be hyping. They'd have local promos. Like you had to go. I remember being a kid and thinking, like, if I don't go to the Nassau Coliseum, what happens if Killer Khan <laughs> beats Hulk Hogan for the <laughs> World Championship? I'm gonna miss this. Like, I really felt that, you know, and that's gone. Like, there are many young fans. I've had this experience. I don't know if you have where they're not even aware that WWE or wrestling in general does shows that are not on television. Like, this is a concept they're not even aware oh, of. Yeah. I've also had the experience of people who were casual fans going to a house show and being like, what am I watching? What is this? Because they don't understand. Or they think they're at Raw. You know, right. uh, you get that a lot saying like, oh, that's where the cameras are over there. <laughs> right, you right, know? right. And they're going, well, where's the production? Where's the pyro? What is this? Why is it just one match after another? And I'm like, well, it's because you're at a wrestling show. You know, what? why is it what, where they're waiting for like the 15 minute in-ring promos and all that stuff and the crazy angles. Yeah. And and, and they're, so they're not educated as to what to even expect when they go, which is you're going to get longer matches. You're going to get more in-ring action. It's a different kind of experience. It's more focused on on the wrestling, you know. 
Yeah, I, I love house shows too. I, I will take a house show over going to a TV taping or even a pay per view yep. uh, any day of the week. And I've actually sort of lamented that they've injected more production value uh, into those shows because they're not what a house show should be. So uh, I, I, you know, I'm not sure I'm crazy about when I go to the house show now and they've got the stage and they've got some production. I, I love that for, um, you know even as an adult, when I'd go to house show at the NASA Coliseum, it looked basically like it did when I was a kid. Uh, and, and now not so much. Now they have stepped up the production value and I get why they have to do it, but, but, um, it, it's just not a house show anymore. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I still don't understand why they don't do localized promos. Um, they air commercials for these things. I mean, would it be that much to really drive home what the, the card is and, and have, uh, a Seth Rollins cut a promo about, you know, how, when he gets his hands on Kevin Owens at the Nassau Coliseum, you know, that kind of thing, uh, something. And then the other part of it is, I don't know why they haven't done enough with the WWE network, with with house shows and they have here and there you know we get like the the starcade special and they they do every once in a while these these other specials where they air a portion of a a house show um on the network live or, or live to tape or something like that um but but i've wondered why not make it a weekly show you know and an hour from whatever house show is going on uh that weekend and um yeah i mean it increases stakes you could develop an angle, uh, there or, or, or at least, uh, build one. Um, but yeah, it's funny because it, I guess it's about a year or two ago, this came up in, in one of these investor conference calls, uh, about the house show business deca- declining and, and Vince McMahon said something to the effect of, um, you know, we know what the problem is and, uh, we're fixing it and absolutely nothing changed, you know? Right. Uh, so I, I don't know what they think it is, but whatever they think it is, it, it it's not it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think they're kind of like you said, if if it comes down to dollars and cents, obviously you can't keep doing it if you're if you're bleeding money. But, you know, you mentioned the whole thing of like, I think it would be a good idea to, to spotlight different house show matches on the network. It kind of reminds me of what they used to do on the old primetime wrestling, which was exactly that, where they would. They were, oh, we're gonna take it, right. We're going to take you to a match from the Philadelphia Spectrum and this and there. We're going to show you what happened in Landover, Maryland, and it would just be some random match, you know. Yeah, some some of the best matches I've I've ever seen um, have been away from TV cameras, uh, and even in in the last several years. I mean, I go back to a um, a cage match at the Nelson Coliseum with Daniel Bryan and John Cena. This was the the Christmas weekend show, uh, the Christmas before last. This was 2018, and it was supposed to be AJ and Daniel Bryan uh, in a cage, and AJ got the flu. And so they subbed in um, John Cena, who wasn't even really on the road at the time. And he, he came out to Long Island to do uh, the show. And they just had an amazing match. Uh, really, really fantastic, top-notch stuff. And, you know, if you weren't in the NASCAR Coliseum that night, you didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, well, before we move on, I just want to ask you a quick thing, because I know you're a Nassau Coliseum guy. Were you at the house show that had Bret Hart versus Owen Hart in an Iron Man match? No, I wasn't. Okay. Yeah, I, I've uh, I yeah. found that on um, it's on YouTube, I think. Yeah, yeah but it did. I was not there. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. You know, I think it was like 94 or something. And they went the, the, the trial, right? The trial was like going on, I think, that same time. Right. And almost across the street. Right. The, the, the courthouse was in Uniondale. Yes, that's right. And it was nuts. I mean, it, it, it was a pay-per-view level 
match. It was probably the greatest match I've ever seen live or definitely that I've ever seen at a WWE house show. It was it was beyond belief. It was better than 90 percent of pay-per-view matches I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. And this was before um, the the Iron Man match uh, in 96 with Sean and Brett. So this was really a novel concept at the time, the, the hour long, they called it a marathon match. Right. At the time. Right. Marathon match. Yeah. And I think God, if memory serves, I think it might've even been over an hour. I, I think they might've given them more than an hour. Uh, I don't remember if I, maybe I'm misremembering that, but it was, I remember it was a very long show. It was like a three and a half hour house show, which for those days, especially was long. And I and this would also have been the time where um, attendance was rock bottom, right? So do you remember what the crowd was like for that? Um, I, I remember not that specific one, but I, I used to go to the Garden and Nassau Coliseum constantly in that in 94, 95. And, yeah, I mean, there were times where you'd have uh, there was definitely like two or three thousand people in, in, in like a 15,000 yeah. seat place. Yeah. The the upside, because I would go at the time, too, the upside of, of that was you'd buy the cheapest ticket in the house and then move way, way, way up and you'd be on the floor because the place was empty pretty much. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, I hope they figure um, again. And who knows how much, how much of it is even going to be out of their hands at the very least. I think it's going to be a while before we're back to house shows as we know them. Uh, but but I do worry that maybe WWE looks at, at this right now and says, well, Maybe we just don't go back to them. And I hope I hope that doesn't happen. Um, all right, Brian, we've talked for a while he, uh, here. I appreciate you uh, chatting, and we'll uh, do it again uh, real soon. Uh, right now, let's hear from Ring of Honor Chief Operating Officer Joe Koff. We were talking about how, um, by and large, we've both been able to uh, get by this whole shutdown well enough here in the Northeast. Uh, but I was asking you... Um, I imagine there's a lot of pressure on you in having so many people uh, dependent on, on Ring of Honor from all your talent to support staff. So I imagine that's got to weigh on you. It, it does weigh on me, but to tell you the truth, the decisions that we've made, and these go back to early March, we were probably one of the first promotions, uh, major promotions, I would say, kind of um, stop the presses and stop the runs as so to speak, um, it actually happened the week of the anniversary show, which was in, right. uh, I think, March 13th was the date. And the week or three days before, even four days before, the world started to tumble a little bit as far as live events and social distancing and things like that. And uh, I wasn't even able to attend the event in Las Vegas because of a, I was not exposed, but I was in a hotel where somebody tested positively and at that time, Al, we were talking about the beginning of March, you know, nobody really knew what it was, how to treat it. You know, everyone was kind of in somewhat of a panic mode and the emergency room wouldn't even let me come in because I really had those symptoms and I had no reason to go in, thank goodness. But they said, don't travel and don't go into work. So I was, my guys were already in Vegas. This is now Wednesday. The show is Friday. We're now on Wednesday starting our conversations. And I'm beginning to feel a little uneasy with what I'm sensing and what I'm seeing. And one of my concerns was um, getting everybody home and safe to where they wanted to be. And uh, we have a lot of international talent uh, from, you know, UK, United Kingdom, and, and our Mexican stars, our champions. And I, I just needed to be sure in my mind 
as a responsible person and just somebody who's in a community of, of, of human beings and empathy and compassion that we could get these people home so they could to be in case airlines shut down, which they happen to do and internationally anyway. Um, so we, we acted pretty quickly, but the main concern has always been and will always be the people, not only our fans, because they're very, very important to me. And I wouldn't want to put anybody in any kind of compromised situation by coming to a ring of honor show. If it wasn't, if it wasn't a healthy environment for them to watch it and my staff and my wrestlers and my, um, all the people that are involved, but I didn't think it was a, it wasn't a hard decision to make. It was, it was the only decision to make and I'm glad we did it. And then subsequently, yeah, we canceled, you know, the April and May shows and um, now we're, we're still in April. It's hard to believe, you know, time has taken on a new continuum. It seems in, in this uh, work from home environment um, where days can go incredibly fast. And then you just wonder you know, when the day will end. This is our new right. norm. So, yeah. um, so we'll, we'll look at June next. And, 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 and as, as states start opening up, we can start making some plans and making some thoughts. But it will always be in the best interest of the company and the people who work for the company as to how quickly we get back into ring action. Is that to say that you um, objected to the, the response from some other promoters? Look, you're the only major American promotion that has stayed um, completely shut down. We obviously know WWE has continued uh, its taping, put on WrestleMania. Um, AEW uh, as well has, has kept on with the live shows. And even more recently, uh, Impact Wrestling, you know, we saw them earlier this week putting on the Rebellion show. All of these basically in front of uh, empty audiences. Why, has, why haven't you uh, taken that approach? Well, I, I think it's because I don't, first of all, I, there's travel restrictions that, you know, I, I don't want to put anyone in any uncomfortable situations. And that's just how we feel. And uh, I stand behind that. I, I, I'm not, not, I have no judgments. I'm not judgmental on what other people are doing. They make decisions based on what's good for their companies. And I respect whatever decisions they make. It doesn't have to be the one I make. That's obviously not the one I make. But you know, I think there's a great sense of comfort for our people to know that there's a caring, there's someone caring in this regard that their health, I'm putting their health and their welfare and the safety of, of all the people involved over the business right now. And we're, it's, we're very fortunate, Al. Don't forget, we have a, a little bit of a different model for our TV. You know, our distribution is basically our own stations plus international. Um, that have been partnered with us for a long time. And we are still producing original content. It's just not matches. And um, so we, we haven't missed a beat other than the live shows and, you know, no, no audience matches. And I just, I'm not comfortable with that yet. I, I think I, there has to be more available and immediate testing for me to get into that because the contact is so close in the sport as it has to be. That I, I just think I, I, I have a great I have a greater responsibility than than just doing that. So it, it, I hadn't really thought about this. So um, is that to say that that your situation is a little bit different in that without that live gate revenue, those sales coming in, there really isn't a point to putting putting on shows because that's how you make your money. So if you're not selling tickets, 
again, what's the point? Well, that, that's correct. I, I mean, that, that model is, is important to us. I don't want anyone to think that having live shows is not important. It's just a piece of our revenue streams. We have multiple revenue streams for our business model. Um, and without fans, you know, you lose that business, that, that, that stream. Um, but again, even to get wrestlers and our performers and our production people to a neutral site, wherever that be, a closed set, it still involves travel. It still involves uh, contact. And I, I just have to make sure people are comfortable and they're comfortable enough and I can staff it in a comfortable enough way that we can start producing responsibly. And we'll do that. I just I don't know the time, though, because every day is a new day. Um, yeah. So right now, it's, it's, it's not this month. So I know that. Is it the, in as much as Ring of Honor is uh, a relatively small piece of a, a much larger media organization, has, it, um, has there been any pushback from your higher-ups at Sinclair about, you know, why, why are we continuing to, to you know, why are we doing things the way we're doing, you know, or, or has everybody been on, on the same page here about the approach to this? Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, we are, we, we are one company and, and our company has taken the same philosophy and ideology to our stations, to our RSNs, to our, our, our operating companies that may not be directly broadcast related. This is, this is what we believe. And we believe in, in, in the, you know, in, in, in getting this, in getting through this, and believe me, we, we're a broadcasting company, and a lot of, a lot of our revenues are advertising. We all know what that's, what's happening right now with that. But there's a greater responsibility than that little tiny piece in the scope of everything that's going on. And, you know, Sinclair, as a company that I work for, a company that owns Ring of Honor, they are just top-notch through this whole process. And, uh, I just love being part of this company for that. Yeah. Another thing uh, we've seen happening in uh, all kinds of industries and uh, in, in this industry in particular with WWE is the, the job losses. Uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago WWE uh, announced literally dozens of, of layoffs, furloughs, um, a, a lot of talent that wasn't being utilized all that much, but, but also I think some names that would surprise fans folks like Rusev and uh, uh, Gallows and Anderson. Uh, so really just a, a lot of bloodshedding over in, in WWE. Um, is, is that something that with every day, you mentioned the advertising losses, the revenue losses, ticket revenue not coming in, with every day that that happens, uh, is, is that something that becomes more of a possibility over at Ring of Honor where you also have these, these contracts? A lot of them, I imagine, are... A pretty large contract um, with with talent. Uh, can you continue to pay these folks essentially for sitting at home? We've been doing it, and we are open for business. We were in business, and uh, we take like everything we have to do out. We take each day at a time, each month at a time. And right now, um, we have not laid off anybody, and all everyone's paid. And uh, I, I think you might have noticed even. In April, we paid all of the, the talent and even the, the independent contract production people through that period. I mean, we've been we've been we've been a responsible employer in this situation, and I'd like to believe that we can continue to be. Yeah, the the the, the other part of the story that I imagine is relevant for you 
um, with all the, the layoffs at uh, WWE is that becomes a whole lot more talent that is on the, the market. Um, I don't know if they are uh, immediately, even if they were, it's not like you can do anything with them today. Uh, but but is that an opportunity for, for Ring of Honor when you see uh, 20, 30, even beyond that, or forget what the number is, uh, of, of talent, a lot of them young, a lot of them with very much an upside uh, out there in the free market? Is that something that, that you imagine uh, in some cases you'll go after? I think that's a creative decision. Um, I mean, these were, these were people that weren't in Ring of Honor. There are people that have been in Ring of Honor before, and we have a past with them, and we... You know, we always have a welcome mat back for ex-Ring of Honor people. Um, You know, we've never stopped anyone from going somewhere else. And, uh, you know, as long as uh, we had a good relationship and for everyone who's left, we've had good relationships. If that's an opportunity that makes sense, if it enhances our brand, if it enhances our product, if it's good for the fans and good for the company, of course we'd be open to that. But, you know, our, our, our people, our, our main people are our first responsibility. So, is, is there some good that comes out of all this? I mean, in the way uh, Ring of Honor does business, any new uh, opportunities or, or insights, lessons that could have been learned out of all this that in the long term help Ring of Honor? Oh, I think if, we don't, if we're not learning from yesterday and, and understanding why that happened and how that happened and not look to the future to see what we are doing that's really good, what we can do better, then we're not doing our jobs. I think right now, I think we're doing a fantastic job in engaging in engaging our fans and engaging new people to wrestling. Because one of the things that's so fantastic about Ring of Honor is our archive and our and it's been digitized. And you know, Al, there's not a lot of promotions that can talk to the facts, that speak to the fact that almost every other promotions champion has had a run in ring of honor. Mm-hmm. And we can, we can document, we can document that run and we can show matches from their early days and it's still relevant. And it's still relevant because the style of wrestling in ring of honor has really not changed. When we go back and look at some of those older, older archive mess of matches, that intensity, that integrity, that athleticism, it is still there and it still exists today. So while we may not be getting the current storyline of who's going to be the next champion, we are still presenting an incredible amount of, of wrestling content that I think is unsurpassed. So I, I think we've done a good job in, in, in creating moments and, and taking advantage of, of what we have and what we can offer. And I'm really proud of the, the work creatively we've done. The television shows have, featuring the individual stars have just been terrific. And um, I've gotten many, many comments out from people who really were not wrestling Ring of Honor fans, but liked wrestling in the past. And they really liked seeing the matches and the stories from the vantage points that we were telling. And that would not have happened if it hadn't been for the situation. So maybe there's a different way to tell the story and maybe there's a different way to present your television. I think we're learning that right now. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the kind of side stories that's come out of this, and, and I think Triple H kind of addressed it in one of these media calls, is if at the end of this, pro wrestling becomes less of a live event business and uh, more of, of kind of a, a, a traditional television product. I mean, I, I, I guess the question is, can wrestling survive without 
um, a, a live uh, audience, or at least a live audience playing a different role. And it may need to because, you know, there's some thought that the last thing to kind of come back online is going to be the mass gatherings um, of, of several thousand people. Now, uh, Ring of Honor was not doing, by and large, the 20,000-seat uh, uh, arenas or anything like that. So I don't know if it affects you maybe less than, than others. Uh, but, but have you thought of that, that even when things get somewhat back to normal and, and you feel good about sending people back to work, uh, that it, it may not be in front of the crowds that uh, even Ring of Honor was used to? I, I think it, I, I don't even think it's I think it's going to be that, um, you know, you have to be able to pivot. And fortunately, because of the way we are structured and the way we are built in our model, it's, it's, it's very easy for us to maneuver very quickly um, because there's been no reliance on the large crowds. I mean, we've attracted them because we've earned that. But, you know, people who come to see Ring or to see wrestling and we've earned their respect. And I would love to have them back, but we're going to figure out a new way to, to, to get them engaged and to get them inside of, inside of the product. Um, I think it's going to be a while for all of us to get back into the, the crowds. And I think Triple H is, to, you know, to, to give him his, his due on that is I think, look, it's always been a TV product. It's always been a TV product now. Wrestling has existed. It's almost one of the first programs to ever be on television. Its roots go back to when television started broadcasting. And, you know, obviously the, it was an infomercial for the, the live events and for the, you know, the, the touring company. But we'll figure this out. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll figure out the medium. Times like this and situations like this, this is where ingenuity and innovation and creativity shine. And those yeah. who can take advantage of that and those who are open to that will come out of this just fine. And one thing uh, uh, I thought you, you mentioned, you know, uh, champions and in, in other promotions having that Ring of Honor pedigree, and and I thought that watching WrestleMania where there were a couple of matches with just Ring of Honor uh, alumnus, you had um, Daniel Bryan and uh, Sami Zayn. That's a match we could have seen in Ring of Honor, you know, ten eleven years ago, and then um, Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. And what I thought was the best match of, of WrestleMania. Two other, you know, very much Ring of Honor guys, former uh, uh, champions there. And um, one kind of uh, a theory I had is that uh, working in Ring of Honor, better prepared, and those are two of the better matches on the entire uh, weekend of WrestleMania, better prepared, I thought, them um, for those unique circumstances because uh, uh, the Ring of Honor wrestling style as it is, and, and um, I think other promotions have, have adopted over the years, but it was less about, you know, be sure you look at the hard camera and, and, and you know, the production side, and more um, about the artistry, and that artistry uh, can can happen in front of uh, a, a venue with a few dozen fans, 100 fans, and that is to say that, that modern independent wrestlers are used to because it's good wrestling. I mean, that's that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's good yeah. wrestling, and that's what we're talking about. That's that's why you enjoyed it so much, is because we always talk about the integrity of the sport and the, the artistry that's involved, and the commitment to excellence, and the relentless pursuit of of pleasing the fan, and 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 working well with with your partner. That's those are Ring of Honor tenets. I mean, that's that's in our DNA. And just because you're in another promotion doesn't mean it leaves your system. 
It just means you adapt to the system that you're in. And you know what? Those matches were really good because they they were they had to be fought by telling the story and by doing what what they do. There was no masking anything. Um, so I, I I'm flattered by that comment, and I'm, I I feel the same way whenever I see um, Ring of Honor talent in any of the other promotions. Um, you know what their roots are. They know what their roots are. And you can always, you, you can never forget your roots. Sometimes you, 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 you move past them, but the foundation is always there. It makes me proud. Did, did you see that uh, table for three, um, a special on the WWE network that was, uh, Ring of Honor graduates? And I forget, I know Cesaro was there, uh, Seth Rollins. I forget who the third was. Um, but, but it was basically just the subject matter, how working for Ring of Honor kind of prepared them for the biggest stage. Uh, of all. I don't know if you saw that, and if you did, do you have any thoughts of it? I didn't see it, but I'm flattered, and again, I'm glad to hear that they remember their roots, because without that, you know, you're kind of lost. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that I think that they respect the promotions that they're in, and there's no question that, you know, it's, it's a grander stage, and it's, a, and it's a larger stage, but, you know, if you, look at, if you look at who's wrestling for Ring of Honor right now, they're, 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 they have that same pedigree, and, uh, you know, I'm out of that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. flattering. But let's talk about kind of the, uh, the the bigger picture of Ring of Honor before um, the world was turned upside down uh, a year ago. I think uh, around then is last we talked, and um, you were gearing up for uh, the, the biggest show in Ring of Honor's history, in Madison Square Garden. Uh, you guys were were riding about as high as you ever did, and then by the end of 2019 into 2020, the, the narrative was very much different. It was about Ring of Honor, um, I'm really struggling to kind of find its place with AEW coming on the scene and, and uh, this, this whole uh, war between AEW and WWE and NXT uh, and the idea is that Ring of Honor kind of got lost in, in the shuffle there. Um, putting aside the challenges, again, of the COVID-19 epidemic uh, or pandemic, what, what it was or what is the state of honor or the state of Ring of Honor, um, you know, in 2020? I think it's fine. I mean, you know, we, we, our talent roster is solid. We have amazing wrestlers. We have a, you know, Marty, Marty Skrull is now heavily involved in our creative and uh, a bigger name is there than Marty. And he's a name that every promotion probably would have liked. He chose to stay with ring of honor. What does that say? The Briscoes chose to stay with ring of honor. You know, we, those, those comments about, you know, we lost our way and all that stuff. You know, we, we just didn't play in that game. I mean, we, we don't play in that. That's not, that's not how we operate. We operate as a broadcasting, as a, as a content for a broadcasting company that has a larger, larger um, base of viewing. But, you know, we're not reliant on the same things. And, and you know, I get it. I, I'm not, I, I, and I've said this to you, Al, I know because we've had this conversation. I'm not in the business to compete with WWE. It's not anything we ever thought we would do. I like being in their space, and I like being able to better the product. But as far as trying to be the WWE or trying to be at that level, it's it's not that it's not what we signed up for when we bought the company. So, I, I think our best our best move at that time was really just to do our thing, and uh, you know provide value and, and and engagement to our to our viewers and to our customers. I mean streaming every live show to be able to get as many. I mean, that's one of the things I think that this has taken away is the ability for our honor club 
to see every show. There's no shows to be seen. So, you know, I'm glad we were able to upgrade our, our digital library because we are going to come back and there are going to be shows, whether they are in front of people or not, the live streaming will, will go on. So people are going to get their ring of honor. Um, but I, I just think that because it wasn't a main stage play, it looked like we were in some kind of fallback position. I don't think that was the case. It's just that we, 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 we were not part of the hype that was going on and, and, and maybe deservedly so. But we have been maintaining and maintaining and doing our job. And, yeah, I'm sad. I'm sad that COVID took us out because I think what we had planned for the summer, what we had planned going into the fall, um, I think would have been very, very exciting. But plans change and things happen. Um, Was there any resentment on on your part watching NXT reach the uh, heights that it did or AW reach the heights uh, that it has and feeling as, as some fans have observed, that th- what they're basically doing is co-opting a, a wrestling style that Ring of Honor brought to prominence, at least in front of American audiences, uh, making it their own, and again, kind of leaving you on, on, on the sidelines. Uh, you know, with, as we were just talking about, whether it's Seth Rollins or um, uh, Kevin uh, Owens or, or the multitude of wrestlers, uh, both in, in WWE and AEW, that have risen to prominence coming out of that ring of honor uh, background and using that style, you know, any part of like, you know, view that sort of like, Hey, that's, that's what we do. You're, you're stealing that from us. No, I don't have any, I, I mean, I, listen, I, when I joined the company and now we're in our 11th year as a ownership of ring of honor, 10th or 11th year, depending on how you look at it from a, you know, either a fiscal calendar or a real calendar, um, people have been leaving us from the day we got here and going to these other places. And, you know, I, I think our talent is still the most coveted talent out there. And it's because our guys know how to do their jobs. And, you know, it's our job at the company to keep them happy and keep them here so they don't go to those places. But, you know, we're doing exactly what we should be doing. And I don't pay attention to the other stuff. I have a company to run. I have a responsibility for the to the company, for the company. And I can't be distracted by what other people are doing or what other people are saying, because you know, in this business, there's more of that than anything else. Um, I made the decisions, you know, let's, let's, we'll circle back, not to, not to end the interview, but I just want to circle back. The decisions that we made about the safety and welfare and well-being of our wrestlers, of our staff, of our production crew, of all the people that are part of the Ring of Honor community, and that includes the fans and the people who reach out to us, I think that tells you who Ring of Honor really is. And we've not changed. We've always been that company, and we will always be that company. So some folks, though, did see um, what, what they thought was a change in the Ring of Honor product um, over the, the last several months. I think the most obvious example that the folks pointed to was um, – uh, 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 CPO's uh, uh, run, PCO, sorry, PCO's run as uh, a champion, and I think back to the final battle match where he won that title, and you've got you know the car batteries and 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 props and a lot of kind of the sports entertainment stuff that I think fans are not used to getting from Ring of Honor that they might expect from Vince McMahon over in WWE uh, to, to a lesser extent. The, the involvement of, of uh, Bully Ray in a lot of angles. 
there there was a thought uh, among some that Ring of Honor was moving away kind of from what brought it to the dance, maybe because of the thought that that style had been co-opted by uh, NXT and AEW, uh, and you needed to come up with something else, and there was a move away from the, the kind of pure athleticism more toward the sports entertainment side. Um, anything to that? Are fans making too much of it? Was there a conscious decision? Oh, definitely. Kind of evolved the style? Yeah. Yeah, let me just answer that because I'm just listening to the question and I, I, I'm really fascinated by it. If you think about the two personalities and stars that you named, you know, it really goes back to the essence of Ring of Honor, which is allowing the talent to be part of the story and to be part of their own creative and our open-mindedness to that. I mean, you've never, you know, the reason why you saw Batteries and PCO, I mean, look at his character. And by the way, he was a fantastic champion for us. Fantastic. He is a gentleman and he's an unbelievably great performer, gifted athlete. And that's his character. And that character of his kind of demanded that kind of, of storyline because that's what people wanted to see from PCO. So I don't think we, we veered in any other direction than the true essence of what we do on a regular basis which is we listen, to the, we listen to the talent and how they feel they can be best utilized and, and bully the same way. I mean, look, you know, there's nobody in the business that could draw heat like that man. And that was his role. Well, I mean, I couldn't see him in any other role. So, I mean, this, so I don't think we were pandering or leading our roots. Our roots have always been in the style of the wrestler. Let's go back to Kevin Steen when he read Kevin Owens, when he was Kevin Steen when he wrestled in Ring of Honor. Uh, he wasn't at WWE at that point. There were plenty of matches that were ladder matches and I quit matches and stuff like that. I think it has to do with who the wrestler is and what's the best way to portray him in his story to elevate his personality to its highest point. And by the way, I, don't, I, I really didn't hear anyone complaining about that match. They thought that match was fantastic. Was it a little over the top? Well, it was PCO. PCO is over the top. So what, what do we want to have him do in, in, in a clean, you know, a, a, a scientific wrestling? It, it doesn't make sense. So right. if people want to look, look to that and say, oh, they're selling out, well, you know, at, at least they're watching. And that's really what I care about. And if they, if they said they sold out but it was a really great match, well, I'm, I'm satisfied with that. Because yeah. why, hasn't, why hasn't NXT sold out to Ring of Honor? Well, why don't we hear that? or whatever. And I don't think we should ever hear that kind of thing because I think you have to fit the style of who the wrestler is inside of the style of what you want to present. So I'm actually flattered again by comments like that because that means we did our job right. Does uh, Ring of Honor come, come out of this whole COVID-19 um, pandemic stronger than it went into it? I mean, how, how are you feeling about, um, again, when we're on the other side of this, how Ring of Honor uh, does is, it, is it, does it find uh, uh, do do fans better appreciate the product um, that that you've offered? Maybe an absence, you know, makes the heart grow fonder, kind of thing. Maybe. I mean, we're doing. You know, we're managing what we can manage. We're controlling what we can control. We're utilizing the assets and the resources that we have to keep to keep the relevancy up. How do we come out of this? I think we actually come out of it very fine. Um, you know, there's been no drastic, really, 
no drastic changes to what we do or not do other than having matches in, or in, 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 in front of people. Um, you know, we, we've always been a digitally first company. We've always used our, our, our library and our archives. Um, I expect us to, I expect us to come out of this fine, but I don't know that it'll be the same. Now that's, that's what, that's the big question. Will it ever be the same? And if it's not the same, what is it going to be? And I think that's being defined right now. I don't think we know the answer. I don't think Major League Baseball knows the answer. I don't yeah. know if the NBA knows the answer. Well, I, I'm not even sure my, my fellow brethren know the answer. I, I just don't think it's going to be what it was, at least not for a while. And maybe, maybe never again. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I, mean, I know there, there are folks who are just thinking, oh, we got to get to the summer and we're back in, you know, where we were in, in February. And um, that's very much up in the air, you know. I hear people speculating whether WrestleMania next year will have to happen in front of a, an empty uh, arena again. So uh, we're very far from being uh, out of the woods just yet. Does Ring of Honor kind of pick up where it left off? I mean, is, it, is, is the main event of your next show, Mark Haskins getting uh, the title shot, and you really kind of pick up all the storylines where you were forced to, to drop them? I don't That's a creative call. Al, that's not that's not a Joe Koff call. Joe Koff will understand what they're doing and 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 and, and understand the vision of that. But I don't, I I wouldn't make that call. It's, and I don't know a, how it can be. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, life is life has gone on pause, but it really hasn't. I mean, things are happening, and you know, Mark Askin, you know, and a great performer. I'd love to see him get that title shot. He certainly earned it. Got to be able to get back into this country. And I and I say that just from uh yeah yeah. I mean, so. I, I, I don't I don't know that it goes immediately back to what it was. I don't think anyone's going back to what it was because life is changing. And, you know, we're seeing a whole different way of, of doing our business. And, you, you know, I, I think I think the, the, the promotions that have good backing and have good solid foundations will be fine. And then, you know, the independent guys that will just wait for the opportunity to wrestle again and they'll go back into their their small venues, that, you know, low barrier of entry. Um, there's plenty of guys starting to work, so there'll always be talent, and there'll always be professional wrestling. It just may not be what it was. Um, and uh, look, I'm, I was watching auto racing this weekend with Jeff, Gar- Jeff Gordon, almost like playing a game. Mm-hmm. So they're making they're making that change. Obviously, they'd like to get back into the into the you know in the cockpit and and, and, and do real driving, but. You know, there's interest in that, and that's that esports. That's that esports kind of uh, influence. So I think we're learning, and as long as we continue to learn and better ourselves and better our product, I think everybody wins. Pro wrestling, though, it really is a uniquely uh, a challenging form of sports or entertainment to get back to, right? Because um, you know, you, you've got two half-naked uh, competitors rubbing on each other in, in a ring, sometimes bleeding. Um, it, it, it's, uh, in terms of the, the risk, uh, I imagine it's as high as any for transmission from one competitor to another. Yes, my main concern. That's why I said I think it's important to understand what my talent have, how they feel about that when they'll be ready. Yeah, I mean, um, who'll be ready? Baseball, football, golf. Uh, car racing. I, I mean, golf, is probably, golf, 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 and tennis are probably the safest sports to resume because you don't have to be 
next to each other in the golf. You know, you can be six feet. You most if you play golf, you know that you're very rarely except at the tee or in a, in a cart in the same place. I mean, tennis, other than wiping the balls after every point. I mean, unless it's doubles, I guess. But even that, if you think about a doubles matches, you're very rarely side by side. You're really that close. So yeah. there are sports that I think can get get back into that. I think when you're in this in this bodily contact like we are, and football is, and sports like that, I think there has to be a little bit more caution thrown to the wind, and a little bit more knowledge on how how to how to how to think about it when we do resume. Because to me, again, I'm going to go back and say welfare and safety far, far more important than, than you know, the six-minute match at this point. Yeah. I, ideally, would you like that? And I don't know, you know, there's going to be logistics here about the availability of something like this. But would you like to have um, your performers tested before they go out there? Uh, if, if you could snap your fingers and have an infrastructure in place um, before you put on your first yeah, show, I, I, what might it involve? I don't know. I think we have to look at the guidelines. You know, I, I, I would like to see what, what's recommended for resuming activity like ours, whether it's, you know, I, I think temperature checks at the beginning, masks, and gloves, certainly not, unless you're Bandito or, you know, <laughs> Florida, you know, you're Flamita, unless you're, unless you're already wearing masks. I think that's going to be a little bit, you know, tricky. And I, I don't think anybody really wants to see professional wrestlers in hazmat suits wrestling unless it's a character or even, you know, the gloves. I, I, I think, I think once the requirements, I'm trying to think of the right word, whatever they put out, the recommendations and the guidelines allow that kind of contact. And I mean, look, if two guys check out that they've not, that they, they don't carry the virus or they had it or, and they, or they didn't know they had it and they're asymptomatic and not likely to spread it to someone else. Those would probably be two people you'd want in the ring, but then you have to figure on the referee. Where has he been? That's really interesting. So a lot of asked, yeah. yeah. I, I asked you about, you I mean, know, there's what, a lot. whether you go back to uh, the, the old matchmaking. And I imagine as you touched on some of the matchmaking may depend on, on factors like these, you know, right. I mean, even, even aside from creative is, Who's available? Who's healthy? Who do? Who can we pair that we have confidence in um, that that aren't infected and won't transmit it to each other? That's fascinating. Yeah, and then you also have all the people that you have working for you that are in, you know, our, our camera guys on side of the ring. I mean, maybe we're going to start seeing more. Robo- I don't want to scare my guys because they're not afraid of anything. But you know, maybe there'll be a more robotic camera kind of uh, shooting. Yeah. But again, until until the social distancing is such that you can really manage an event effectively. Um, you know, maybe, maybe going back to something Triple H said that maybe it becomes a television product. You know, if, if they think about WrestleMania and the way they produced it and what they produced, um, and obviously the success that it had, but I think there was some, a viewer appetite for it because it was still kind of new and, and live and there was a story to be told. You really have to reassess how you do your shows. Because yeah. those matches, as you said, were good. I don't think they. I think they would have been good if they were live in the event, but because of the talent. But look at the opportunity they had to shape it to make it look better, to, to tell a better story. And at the end of the day, is that going to have its effect? I think it's to be. I think we have to learn that. That's part of that learning. Yeah, yeah. So, what, what have you thought about about the um, the lack? 
how the lack of an audience affects the the show. I mean, to me as a fan, that's been the most difficult thing when there is a uh, a high spot in a match, um, uh, or even a, a promo. I was watching Raw on Monday, and you had this contract signing with Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins, and there were these lines that were clearly written you know, with the idea of the crowd will pop here. You know, McIntyre says something, and this is where the crowd would go, ooh, and you get nothing. And it, it really hurts the, the TV product. So is, is there any way around that? I mean, I wonder if, if it was 30, I think if it was 30 years ago, promoters were just piped in crowd sounds. It wouldn't have been that simple. You just play a track. Um, and, and is there any way around that? I don't know. You know, 30 years ago, you could get away with it. Um, I, you know, I'm going to use another example of a show I watch. Um, I watch Real Time with Bill Maher on Friday nights. And, you know, he's going from his backyard. And sometimes at the beginning, they insert audience shots and they put the laugh track on. I, 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 just, I just don't think people would buy it. I, I don't yeah. know unless there's an algorithm for it or AI is involved to make sure that you can almost emulate the perfect scenario situation where the crowd would react the way you would want them to react organically and naturally, which is of course why Ring of Honor is so special because when expectations are met, there's that organic eruption of chanting. It's not, it's not, it's not pre-produced. It's not produced. So until, and, and technology will get us there. I mean, who would have ever thought anyone would be talking about AI in a, in a, in a podcast about wrestling? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's going to no, really, think about it, Al. I mean, just, just the tenor of what we've been talking about is so different than what our normal would be because we would be talking about this upcoming tour or this upcoming match and, you know, what do I think of this? And I, now we're talking about how do we get or, or create a wrestling show that simulates and simulates maybe what was in the past. And I'm not sure that that's the way to look at it. I think if we keep looking at the past, we're going to get stuck because we don't have those same things available to us that we had in the past. Yeah. So it's got to be, it's got to be real. It's got to be genuine. Um, I mean, it's, it, it just can't be like, because I think, I think fans will tolerate that less than not having any of the other, because at least yeah. you're watching two guys without, without being forced to have a laugh track. I used to hate comedies that had laugh tracks. Sure. It was all the different. Yeah. Yeah, nobody laughs like that. You know, it's like hit a button and you get these laughs. So I think yeah. we're learning. And again, I think technology will play a part in this. So I've wondered if um, in the long term, at least part of the solution is to tap into the, uh, the, the real reactions of fans watching from home. And I think WWE even put out some surveys to fans asking what would they think if, if on the, the TV screen – there were some um, like inset boxes of of some fans watching from home, and then it almost kind of like a, a simulated crowd, but at least you have a real reaction from them. I I, I wonder if in the long term that that's part of it because it's interesting. One thing that's been interesting in the difference between AEW's product and and um, WWE's product is that AEW, on occasion at least, has let some of the roster members um, sit in the the audience spread out. And it, and you're talking, I don't even know if it's a half dozen or, or 10 or 12, um, but, but even that little bit of reaction, somebody to, 
to go, oh, when there's a big spot or something like that, even if it's a, a solitary person, makes a difference. It makes a big difference versus um, something happening in complete silence. So uh, I've, I've wondered if there's a way to, to, to tap into that somehow. You know, talking about the, you know, talking about what you were saying that WWE was testing or thinking about that. You know, we've been talking about that since this whole started. Is there a way, you know, the Zoom technology and yeah. and having that accessibility where people can watch it live? We, we've already been in discussions about that. I watched I watched the draft. I mean, you know, the draft is a good example of how to use that technology. Now, it's a different thing because all you have is a bunch of hometown boys screaming for their draft choice. So instead of being in a bar, you have 12 sets with the same people. Didn't quite capture that, but it was, it was terrible. Um, but, you know, it, it, was, it was fun the first time, and it was still kind of interesting the second time. But, you know, in the 170th pick, it's, it, it's just we, we gotta, we've got to continually push that envelope, I think. Yeah. But it was good, good on their attempt, and it shows that you can do that. You can have a virtual audience to a live event in 15 different places. I thought that technology was fantastic. Yeah. And that's, that's why technology, technology, technology is going to be the key here. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Joe, thank you so much for, for talking. Uh, uh, honestly, a, a lot of uh, admiration and, and praise for the way you've been running things uh, over there. I do think there are a lot of people who um, are, it, for whom it's nice to see promoters think about their, their employees um, and, and their staff and their uh, welfare first and foremost. Uh, so uh, good on you and uh, best of luck. luck. Hopefully um, I'll be able to, to return to a Ring of Honor show somehow, some way in, in, in the near future. Even if it's right. I hope so too, Al. And I'll, and I'll look forward to seeing you there, believe me. So thanks. All right. Okay, Joe, have a good one. Appreciate it.